So here is uh, a thought for the uh, younger ones among us, and maybe those of us who uh, don't want to uh, hear more about what took place in the gospel reading. But um, here's the idea. So in the gospel reading for today, King Herod was a little bit confused about Jesus because Jesus was gaining a reputation. A lot of people were listening to him. And, you know, from the gospel lessons we've had for the last few weeks, uh, Jesus has done some marvelous things. I mean, he stilled the storm. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He was incredible. And so all that news was traveling around town or around that whole region, that whole area. And people were amazed at Jesus. But others then were just hearing about Jesus. And so they started to ask questions like, well, who is he? And well, that's a good question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? It's kind of like uh, if we see somebody that we don't know and we say, oh, who is that? Uh, how do people usually answer that question? Sometimes they say, oh, well, I know their name and this is their name. And then sometimes they say, oh, that's so-and-so's son or so-and-so's daughter. So if, um, if we're thinking about Francis and Kelly, somebody might say, oh, they're twins. Um, their mom is Ruth Ann. And, uh, but you know, that tells us a little bit about somebody. But I think what tells us more about someone is if we tell some stories. So maybe the story about Kelly and Francis would be when they had a birthday party in the courtyard and they had bouncy houses and all their friends were here and we had a lot of fun. That's a good story to tell or about how, did you really take your iguana to school for show and tell one day? Well, that would be an interesting story if you did. And maybe if you haven't done it already, you'll do that someday soon. But it's stories like that. So if we had to ask, uh, if we had to answer the question, who is Jesus? Maybe we would tell a story about Jesus, right? So my question is then, what's your favorite story about Jesus? We have to think about that a little bit. Let's see, there's the Christmas story when Jesus was born. That's a nice story to tell. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite, I have several favorites. So one of my favorite stories is one that was the gospel lesson not long ago when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and a storm came up and the disciples were awfully afraid, but Jesus was calm and he stopped the storm. He calmed down the disciples. And I love that story because it's so easy to picture in my head. And sometimes when I feel like the storms of the world are too much for me to handle, I remember what Jesus said. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And it kind of gets me back on track. <laughs> I'm delighted that we have a Bible and that the gospel writers were so kind 
to share some stories about Jesus so that when our friends and family ask us, well, who is this Jesus that we hear about? We have several ways to answer that story, answer that question. We can tell stories about Jesus. We can tell people how Jesus has been a friend to us, how we trust and love Jesus. We can tell them a lot. And that really is the best thing that we can have uh, stories to tell and answers when people ask us, who is Jesus? I hope a lot of people ask you in the course of your lifetime, who is this Jesus that you keep talking about? And we'll be ready, won't we? Amen. 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 So for the older ones among us, um, this is uh, an interesting gospel reading. It's one of those Sundays where, you know, you read a gospel like this, the beheading of John the Baptist, and then you say the gospel or the good news of the Lord, and you kind of wonder where is the good news in this story. So Bible scholars tell us that when we look at a passage in scripture, we need to do a little digging. We need to find out the context of the story. Uh, and I'll give you a different example. It's another story about uh, Jesus telling a parable of a lost sheep, right? You know that one, right? So one goes away, the shepherd goes and finds it, brings it back, and then the flock is restored. When that story is told in Luke and in Matthew, they're a little bit different because the context is different. In Luke, the parable appears in the middle of a conflict between Jesus and the leaders of the church. They're in a snit about uh, who Jesus was ministering to because he, he hung out a lot with people that the leaders of the church would call sinners, the, uh, the, the folks that uh, weren't as respectable as the folks that the people who were leading the church were hanging out with. But in Matthew, when he tells the story, Jesus isn't arguing with the religious leaders at all. He's teaching his disciples how important it is to take care of the little ones, the people that are sometimes forgotten. So in scripture, context is everything all of which makes perfectly good sense until we run into the gospel lesson for today. So Mark's story of the death of John the baptizer seems a little bit out of place or disjointed. It's hard for us maybe to know the context. So what's going on in Mark chapter six is that Jesus, if you remember from last week, had just sent his disciples out uh, to do great things, uh, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to preach the coming of the kingdom or the reign of God, uh, to preach repentance and to tell people about Jesus, to tell the stories that they had already seen and heard of. Some of them were there, so they could tell as a firsthand observer. And um, so they went out to do this work. 
And then later in the same chapter, these disciples will return and they'll tell Jesus fantastic stories of what they encountered in their ministry and the wonder and experience of having God work through them and being filled with God's grace and power. But in between those two parts of being sent out and then coming back and telling marvelous stories, we have this gospel reading today. It's a little bit out of place, we think, slightly erotic, quite gruesome of how King Herod, after he had blown out the candles on his birthday cake, snuffed out the life of John the Baptist. And the question, of course, is what is a bad story like that doing in a nice place like the Gospel of Mark? And then we think, well, maybe it's just an interlude. You know how you sometimes have fillers. Uh, novel writers do this a lot if they have some points to make in their plot, and then they fill in a lot of space in between these points. Um, when I was a kid growing up in my congregation, the Lutheran Church of the Redeemer in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, I remember so often when we had elections for officers or some important business to take care of in the church, and we would all be in church, and the people who could vote would cast their ballot and put it in an offering plate, and then the offering plates were whisked away, and then elders would count and see who was elected to various positions. But in the meantime, we always asked our organist to play a few hymns, and everybody sang, and we waited and waited and waited. And then when the results were done, you know, we could celebrate who was elected to various positions. So maybe this story is like an interlude. Um, you know, maybe. Mark is saying, well, let's let the disciples go and do their ministry. And while we're waiting to see what happens when they come back, let's tell you a story. So, but it probably isn't really like that. Uh, the late uh, New Testament scholar Norman Perrin was the first one probably of all the New Testament scholars to note that Mark was not a clumsy gospel writer. Um, he had purpose for intersecting and composing stories in the order that he did. And uh, he said that he really had a purpose in sandwiching the story of John's death between the sending and the returning of the disciples as missionaries, because the two stories have so much in common. In fact, Norman Perrin would say they have everything in the world in common because Mark wants us to know that when the disciples go out and they do the work of God and they preach and proclaim this reign of God, when the church rises up to be the church, and that's a good thing, when that happens, the world rises up and the world will be the world as well. So the disciples go out to preach the gospel, well and good. But don't forget that John the Baptist also preached the coming of God's reign too. The disciples lived through their missionary days in the early days. John the Baptist 
did not. So the disciples went out and cast out demons and healed people well and good. But don't forget that John the Baptist sought to heal the demons that raged in King Herod, and it cost him his life. Mark wants us to know that when the church rises up to be the church, the world rises up to be the world. Now, all this might sound a bit strange because it's not our experience, we say, because generally speaking, when we do the work of the church, people respond with praise. They're glad that we're doing what we do and we're invited to places maybe that we wouldn't be invited if we weren't so involved in church or the preaching of the gospel. Um, but according to Mark, at first Herod did not want to harm John either. He wanted to domesticate him. He was perplexed by John. As long as he could keep him in chains, he was happy. But then he was pushed a little bit um, with the circumstances of his birthday party. And as sorry as he was, John had to go. And sometimes I think when the church rises up, when we talk about peace, when we talk about justice, when we talk about inclusion for all, what happens? The world rises up and they give the church some pushback and they say, this isn't where God is calling us to go. We should just have it be simple, the message of the gospel. God loves you, plain and simple, that's it. Don't tell me anymore. But God loves us enough to want us to be out there and bring people in from the world and include them in the work of the church and the life of the church. And that might mean people that aren't as acceptable as others. Listen to these words from a sermon, like probably similar to a sermon you've heard over and over many times in your lifetime. It could be preached in any Christian congregation on almost any Sunday in any place of the world. So just picture these words. In the gospel of Christ, one must not love oneself so much as to avoid getting involved in the risks of life that history demands of us. The experiences of a new earth must not weaken, but rather stimulate our concern for this earth. May we give ourselves like Christ, not for self, but to give justice and peace to our people. Pretty innocuous, right? It's just a sermon, just like the church goes about its business and preaches this word all the time. The only thing I left out is that right after the preacher of this sermon said, may we give ourselves like Christ, not for self, but to give justice and peace to our people, a shot rang out in the sanctuary and the preacher who was Archbishop Romero of El Salvador, was dead. Mark wants us to know 
as difficult as it is for us to hear, that when the church rises up to be the church, the world rises up to be the world. But Mark also wants us to know something else. Mark wants us to learn that when the world rises up to be the world, Jesus Christ rises from the dead. In fact, Mark begins his story by saying that uh, Herod was a little bit confused about the church being the church. And he thought that he silenced John by putting him in prison. And then he heard stories about Jesus and wondered, you know, if Jesus was now the John incarnate because he had been beheaded. And he was confused. And he wanted to know more about this Jesus. Mark wants us to know and remember that we can't nail down Jesus Christ. When the world is being the world, Jesus is being Lord and sovereign of all. As Martin Luther put it in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, God's reign endures forever. And so the good news of this gospel, even though it's hard sometimes to find it when you read it, is this. Go out into the world and be the church. Like it said last week, don't take two coats, a bag of money, an insurance policy, pepper spray, or anything else you think may protect you while you do God's work in the world. Nothing can spare you from the evil intent of the Herods of the world. So what do you take with you out into the world? You take the stories of Jesus. You take the message of the gospel. You take your confident faith that when all is said and done, all the Herods in the world will say, somebody has been raised from the dead. The power we thought was nailed down is loose again in the world. And God is alive again. Amen.